Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, well, our uh, summer series uh, voted on by our Patreon supporters continues with another summer replacement program. Now, this one is a little bit different in that it didn't just air for a single summer. It actually uh, was a summer replacement program for three straight summers, each year serving as a replacement for the uh, Great Gildersleeve. Minute C aired uh, for the summers of 1943, 44, and 45. And its big focus was uh, to encourage uh, people to join the Merchant Marines. So most episodes did focus on the work of Merchant Marines. This one was uh, a bit different. This aired the Sunday after the Japanese surrender and focuses on a famous story from the Navy. The original air date on this is August the 19th, 1945, and the title is, The Bid Was Four Hearts. Men at Sea. Citizens, I'm going to tell you a story. A story of four American chaplains. Four chaplains who in the early hours of a February morning made a strong and beautiful bid. Chaplain Clark Poling, North. I'll pass. Chaplain John Washington, East. I'll bid uh, two clubs. Chaplain George Fox, South. I'll pass. Chaplain Alexander Good, West. I'll bid four hearts. Four men. Two Protestant ministers, one Jewish rabbi, one Catholic priest. Four men made a bid, and a grateful nation will remember this night and for all time that the bid was four hearts. In the spirit of this day of worship, the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with the War Shipping Administration, presents as a special chapter on Men at Sea an adaptation based upon Captain Elwood C. Nance's book, Faith of Our Fighters, written by Father Timothy Mulvey. The play bears the title, The Bid Was Four Hearts. You were sleeping those cold February nights, citizens. You were sleeping quietly. And while you were sleeping, citizens, the big gray shadows were out on the water. Convoy, they call it. Convoy moving in the night carrying men and material for the United Nations. Convoys stepping cautiously over gray waters that are treacherous with submarines. Below the deck of the troop transport Dorchester, four chaplains are sitting in officers' quarters. Then, suddenly, there's a knock on the door. Uh, is this the chaplain's quarters? Oh, step right in, Jimmy. Boy, it's nice and warm down here. You know, if you ask me, Chaplains, this North Atlantic ain't so hot. I'm standing up there on the deck, see, looking for submarines. And what do I get? 
What do you get, Jimmy? I get me nose froze. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, gentlemen, I'd like you to meet our new orderly. Jimmy, this is Chaplain Good. Uh, How do you do? Glad to know you, Jimmy. And this is Chaplain Fox, and over here, Chaplain Pauling. How are you, Jimmy? Glad to know you. Yeah, pleased to meet you. Uh, Oh, uh, I got the order all fixed up nice, Father Washington, but what I want to know now is uh, who follows who into church services? Well, I'm saying mass at 7 o'clock, Jimmy. Oh, I know that, Father, but... Well, what I want to know is, does the Jewish service follow you, or does the Protestant? Well, uh, perhaps Chaplain Pauling might explain. If you don't mind, Jimmy, you can arrange the order for Protestant services after Chaplain Washington says Mass. Yeah, I get you. Is that agreeable to you, Chaplain Good? Perfectly all right with me. I'm holding my service at six, if it doesn't make any difference to Chaplain Fox. Oh, not at all. Uh, now, let me get this straight. In other words... Uh, chaplains, first is the Jewish service at 6 o'clock with no cross and the altar turned around, right? Right. And then it's the Catholic service at 7 o'clock with the cross and the altar turned around the other way, right? Right. And then it's the Protestant service with the... uh, Let me see now. Uh, The altar turned around the other way again, right? And and then... uh, you know, chaplains, this would be a heck of a lot easier for me if you should only get together sometime. <laughs> the convoy moved steadily to the north. And now that they were approaching Greenland, the escort destroyers were beginning to tighten their screaming lines. The destroyers were getting nervous now, and a certain skipper was getting nervous too. Black as pitch out there tonight, Jackson. Yes, sir. Any other reports? You mean about the submarines? Yes. No, sir, nothing. But we're running into high seas, sure, sir. Sure, sure, we're running into high seas. What did you expect with a wind like that? Let me see the chart. Uh, here you are, sir. Hmm, getting pretty close to Greenland. Yes, sir. But not close enough to suit me. What do you mean, sir? Well, right now, Jackson, we're riding deep in Germany's North Atlantic submarine zone. When you've got a wind like this in your face, a submarine can do funny things. And these were the sounds that night. The large sounds of wind and waves. The small, friendly sounds of lifeboats swinging on the davits. The muffled, gray sound of boots keeping vigil on the bridge. And then the night gets very quiet on the North Atlantic. It gets very quiet in a dark cabin. The chaplain has time to lie in his bunk and remember. Chaplain Poling was remembering that night. Chaplain Poling, they call me. Chaplain. Somehow, in this dark room, the memory of that first fear comes back to me now. I remember how you looked at me, Dad, when I, your young minister, opened the door that day. What's the matter, Clark? Dad, I'm no good. I'm a failure. What's the trouble? A a man's dying now, and I, I can't help him. Did you try? Yes, but I... Just couldn't help it. Maybe you tried too much, Clark. What do you mean? I mean, 
Did you give God a chance? Well, I... I... No, you go on back, son. Go back to that man. And remember, you're nothing but an instrument in God's hand. I'll never forget that, Dad. Never. An instrument in his hand. That's all you are, Clark Pauling. Dear God, help me always to be your instrument. And, and watch over Corky and Thumper and Dad. Watch over Betty and all of us. Chaplain Good, they call me. Funny. Lying here in this room, I wonder why. And yet I don't wonder why. I know the reason. I suppose the reason could go back to a day in French class. I'm thinking of you now, Teresa. My lovely wife. I remember how you looked that first day I spoke to you. Back at Easter. We were just kids. Mind if I sit next to you, Miss Flax? No. I uh, forgot my French book. Thought maybe I might look on with someone. I see. This is the second time you forgot your French book, Mr. Good. I know. I... I might forget it tomorrow, too. Yes. You were very young. But even then, Teresa, I knew I wanted to be near you. Always. I wanted to be near everything that's good. I wanted to be happy. Yes, I... I guess that's it in a nutshell. Wanting to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone. Oh, God, my father. Look down on us tonight. Look down on Rosalie. And Ruth. And Ethel. And my wife, Therese. And God, help us all. Help all men to find ultimate happiness. Yes, there was time for remembering aboard a troop transport. And while men were remembering, the convoy was moving north and there was silence. The silence that always returned in the night and left a man alone with his remembering. Chaplain Fox was remembering that night. Chaplain Fox, they call me. They weren't too sure of me the first time they saw me. <laughs> I remember how they looked when they asked me the question. So, you're a Methodist minister? Yes, sir. Hmm. George Fox, born in Lewiston, Pennsylvania. Nineteen mm. hundred, is it? Yes, sir. Hmm. Born nineteen hundred. Well, now, don't you think you're a bit... Well, old for army service? I don't think so, sir. Quite a rigorous life, you know. <laughs> yes, I suspect that, sir. And I suppose you also know that a chaplain's life will be far different from, well, 
Shall we say the congenial surroundings of a parish in Vermont? I quite understand, sir. I wonder if you quite understand. I think I understand war. That's what you mean. <laughs> you do understand war? Yes, sir. Oh, so many people think they do. I was engaged in active duty with the 2nd Division in World War I. Wounded in combat. Oh. Received the Purple Heart. Well. Silver Star. My. And quite a girl with palms, sir. Mm, uh, yes. Yes, with palms. I also have a son who's a Marine in this war, sir. Oh, I... Of course, yes. I think I do understand war. Uh, naturally. <coughs> naturally. <laughs> you laughed when I told you that, Mary Elizabeth. I'd like to see the sun shining again in Gilman, Vermont. Lord, I'd love to see it again. Sunshine, the hills, Mary Elizabeth and Wyatt, and you, my wife. Yes, it'll be a great day, Lord, when this old fox can come home to all his cubs again. You were sleeping those cold February night, citizens. But while you were sleeping, there were hearts that were remembering, and eyes that were watching. And the big gray ships were still moving north, and the slow procedure on the high seas was being written on the log. But there were some things that were not written on the log. Jimmy, the chaplain's orderly, was chiming candlesticks that afternoon when somebody knocked. Yeah? Come in. Oh, uh, what can I do for you, Sergeant? I, uh, was looking for one of the chaplains. But the chaplains is busy. What do you want? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's about a letter I wrote to my girlfriend. Your, your girlfriend? Yeah. Well, for crying out loud, what do you want the chaplains for? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh... Oh, uh, I get you. You mean, uh, you want a little help, sort of? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't know spelling so good. Well, now, why didn't you say so in the first place? Here, give me the letter. I'll give it to your care for you, Sarge. Uh, hey, uh, I, uh, happen to know a little something about this sort of thing, uh, me being an orderly. Uh -huh. uh, uh, where is it? Uh, on the other page. Oh. Oh, here we are. Dear Toots. Uh, Toots, Sergeant? Is that her name? Well, uh, that's what I call her. Sergeant? You know that Toots is no name for a self-respectable dame. She was baptized, wasn't she? Well, I, uh, I guess so. Well, baptism is a sacrament. In case you don't know that, Sergeant. Yeah? So, uh, call her by her baptismal name, see? Okay. Okay. Now, uh, what is her baptismal name? Um, Marcella. Yeah, that's a nice name, Sergeant. Yeah, I'll write it down for you. M A R. Uh. <laughs> uh, just for the fun of it, Sergeant, yeah, how would you spell Marcella? Huh? Oh, you, you got me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Dear Toots, 
How are you feeling? I'm fine. I hope you are the same. About getting married when I get back to... You gonna marry this dame, son? You bet I am when I get back. But is she a good girl? Good? What do you I mean? mean? You know what I mean. Sure she's good. What do you think? Why, I... All right, right, all right. Keep your shirt on. I'm only trying to tell you, Sergeant, that the only kind of girl we're coming home to is a good girl. The chaplains will tell you the same thing. Yes, the chaplains will tell you. The chaplains told you many things. And in the quiet hours... A chaplain has time to tell himself something. Chaplain Washington, they call me. The altar boys call me Father John. (laughs) There was a time when I thought I'd never quite get used to being called Father. And there were times when I wondered what it meant to be a priest. What has it meant to be a priest? Well, being a priest means many things. It means you, Lord. The eyes and lips and mouth of you. Speaking again those words over bread and wine. That's my mass. My priesthood is you, Lord. In the long hours of the confessional. That's the way you wanted it, Lord. Whose sins you shall loose. That's what you said. Well, I have loosed. I have liberated. Oh, my good God. I, a sinner, have lifted my hand in absolution. Yes, it's many things being a priest. It's the babies I've washed clean with your baptism. The boys and girls I have fed with the bread of life. The young men and women I have made one in the lasting bonds of your marriage. It's the weary heads and hands I have touched with the strong oils of your extreme unction. Oh, gentle Christ, thanks for all this. And especially thanks for her. Mom, I see your lovely face in this dark room. And I'm remembering a morning, long ago, in the kitchen. I was trying to break the news to you. John, what seems to be troubling you? Mom, would it make much difference if... If, I mean... (laughs) You mean you want to go away to be a priest? Yes. Sure. And didn't I know it all the while? It'll mean a lot of work and worry for you, Mom. I mean, all the kids at home and everything, and... Well... John... What greater blessing could I work and worry for than to see you someday? John, I used to dream about seeing a son of mine, a priest. I dreamed. Oh, I guess I dreamed it a thousand times or more. Even when you were that small. And I was thinking... Then it would be a great day. Sitting there with your father in the front pew. With the candles lit and the incense floating like a white cloud over your head. With the altar boys in their red hats. 
and the grand organ within the church. I was thinking that would be a great day when I could look up and say, there he is. There he is. My own Father John. That's the way you said it, Mom. Oh, God. Look over a little house tonight on South 12th Street. Look over my mother and all mothers. And you, Mary, my heavenly mother, help me to be a good priest. all that day against heavy seas. And when night settled down again on the North Atlantic, four chaplains were tired. So they relaxed around the table. They said casual things. It's your deal, Paulie. They weren't thinking about the gray waters now. I'll pass, Washington. They were merely looking at cards. I'll bid uh, two clumps. And making small, pleasant calculations. Yes, I'll pass. And then... Hmm, let me see... I think I'll bid four hearts. Stand by. All hands alert. Submarines contacted. Gun crews in position. All hands prepare for emergency. Stand by. You heard the words, stand by. You forget a bridge game. You forget the overturned chair, the sweater you left lying on the edge of your bunk. You forget the hundred details like the letter you were writing and the shoe you were shining. Yes. You may even forget your life jacket. You're just one among hundreds who ran out on a cold deck. And you stood there, staring out into the dark, waiting. Doesn't look so good, Jackson. No, sir. How many did they say? They just said submarine. Must be a pack of them. Gun crews ready? Yes, sir. The men are lined along the deck waiting. Yes, waiting. That's the part I don't like. What's that, sir? The waiting. It's like being in a dark room. You don't know whether you're going to be hit in the head or the ribs. The bearing is 035, sir. Looks like the ribs, perhaps. Could be any angle. In a wind like this, those subs could patrol us for 48 hours and call the shot at any angle. What's our position? We're out of line, sir. Oh, I thought so. What are we making? Three knots. Roughly, sir. Three knots. Running out of formation at three knots. You know what this means, Jackson? I'm afraid I do, sir. The Dorchester is going to be easy pickings if any sub decides to operate tonight. So you waited, like a man in a dark room. You kept staring out over the rail into the dark. You just couldn't believe that out there, under those wild, cold waters, men were waiting for you, timing you, measuring you. You waited an hour. You waited two hours. Then... Gradually, you relaxed. You breathed again. You were normal again. After all, someone could be mistaken. Could be a false alarm. You took one more look over the rail. Then you walked slowly back to the stateroom, watched some of the fellows for a minute, walked over to your bunk, sat down, 
ran your finger through your hair. Searched for a cigarette. Found it. Lit it. Lay it back on your bunk. Like a live, bubbling, murderous fish, it was coming. Stand by! Like a tiger shark, it had you spotted. Here it comes! Here it comes! All right, citizens. Let it be said, quietly. Let it be said without the noise and confusion of men jumping over the side of the stricken ship. Let it be said without the shouting of boys as they watch the cold sea coming up to meet them in the dark. Let us say only that Dorchester was gaping with a wound from which he would never heal. Right now, it's getting more quiet. The lifeboats are pulling slowly away. And Dorchester is settling slowly. Four chaplains, trapped in their life jackets, are standing on the deck of that stricken ship. Are you okay, Pauling? Fine, Washington. How about you, Rabbi? So far, so good. You, Fox? I'm all right. Well, she's going fast. All the lifeboats are gone. We got most of the fellas over the side. Wait a minute. No, I can't die. Look at this kid. I can't die. I can't die. What's your life jacket? I lost it. I can't die. Chaplains, I can't. He lost his life jacket. Look, over there. Three more kids without their life jackets. Son, listen, son, I, I want you to pay attention to me. Yes, sir. Can you swim, son? No, sir. None of us can swim, sir. We're afraid, sir. Afraid to go over the side. I see. And no life jackets. Well, chaplains? Yes, you're right. Of course. It's the only way. I'll take this, lad. Father, if you're in pulling... And this boy's mine. Here, son. Quickly. Stand up straight. No. All right. All right now, lad. Raise your arms. Now higher. A little bit higher. You're going to be all right. You've got to be all right. tonight, citizens. Will we be honest with ourselves for one moment this night? Will we search our individual hearts and come up with the beautiful answer? The answer we know is right. Will we sit at the broad table of this 
our beloved land, and play the game according to the rules of him who is the eternal God and father of all mankind? What say you, player on the north? What say you, player on the south? And what say you, players on the east and west? Will we look tonight into the eyes of our fellow man, whoever he may be, and bid a portion of old pride or stale prejudice or ancient hate? Or will we remember that night of February 3rd, 1943, when a ship went down 90 miles south of Greenland? Will we remember that moment when the ship was poised for the final plunge? That moment when the miracle of man's love, his fellow man, converted her slippery deck once and forever into a great altar from which four men offered their gallant souls to God? Will we? Hostilities are ended. No longer is the sea a thing of menace, as it was on that bitter night when the transport Dorchester met her fate. But if men at sea are no longer called upon to risk the sacrifice of life itself, the need for men to man our great merchant fleet, even though peace has come, is just as great, if not indeed greater than ever. The need is especially acute for experienced officers and seamen, especially mates, engineers, and ABs, men who have been to sea before, and have the skill and knowledge which comes with experience. If you are such a man, there's a vitally important job for you in the Merchant Marine today. You can help bring released prisoners home from all parts of the world. If you can qualify, you're urged to write or wire collect to Merchant Marine, Washington, D.C., giving your name, address, and rating. If you're accepted, you'll receive standby pay immediately and be furnished transportation to the port of assignment. Get back to sea and bring the boys home sooner. Tonight's story, entitled The Bid Was Four Hearts, was dramatized by Father Timothy Mulvey from portions of the book by Captain Elwood C. Nance, Faith of Our Fighters. It was presented as a special chapter in our series Men at Sea, a public service brought to you in cooperation with the War Shipping Administration by the National Broadcasting Company and its independent affiliated stations. The cast included Guy Sorrell as narrator, and Bess McCammon, Frank Behrens, Bob Griffin, Frank Butler, Jack Lloyd, Marvin Marks, John McBride, Arthur Cole, Tom Hoyer, Gene Gillespie, Julian Noah, Rock Rogers, and Tommy Hughes. The music was by Felix McGuire, and the production was directed by Howard Keegan. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome back. Uh, this is an interesting approach to this story because I've heard other golden age of radio productions that manage to tell the core story in, uh, you know, four or five minutes. And you can do that. I think what they were going for here was to really give a sense that these men didn't just come on for a sketch. They lived entire lives with love, with laughter, with sorrows, with doubts, with uh, family members who love them. And to make them more real and less 
like walk-on characters in a story. And I I think that they did do a pretty good job uh, with the time that they had. I didn't recognize most of the actors in this production. The one that I did recognize uh, pretty clearly was Julian Noah. Uh, if you've listened to uh, The Adventures of Superman at all, you recognize the captain as the same guy who voiced Perry White. I tried not to think too much about that. But a very uh, unique uh, production and told in a very challenging, thought-provoking way. Well, that's all for now. Join us back here next week. We're going to still be in the World War II era, but we're going to be here with a music program. It's Meredith Wilson and John Nesbitt in the Johnson Wax program. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.